is the West Side King's Church podcast, where we aim to encounter and embody the surprising grace of Jesus. So the question for me, just beginning with the West Side, is the challenge of whether um, grace is a conceptual thing for us or a reality reality for us. So there's a sense in which almost no church in Protestantism, to be honest with you, almost no church within Christendom would say we're not interested in grace. So uh, you think about like Patrick Lencioni talks about values of an organization. uh, And he says uh, what a lot of organizations do when they talk about their values is they say things like our values are X, Y, and Z. Um, And actually you end up listing qualities or values that pretty much every organization would have. Uh, So what he does is he categorizes a whole group of values and ideas. Uh, He calls them permission to play values. They're sort of values that you just assume that an organization should have, like integrity, right? Um, Because if you say as an organization, one of our core values is integrity, what you're implying is, well, it's not the case for other organizations, or you're saying we are have more integrity than everybody else, right? Um, and similarly, grace comes comes along to the agenda. And most churches want to say grace is a big thing for us. But of course, for Westside, it's been an attempt. You know, you go back to Tom Morris, founding pastor at Westside, that challenge of of living and holding to a notion of grace, right? Of, 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 of grasping it and not doing what happens in a lot of church contexts where, hey, here's grace. But then when you spend a little while around, you realize there's some pretty big walls and some pretty big fences out here where you realize that we're grace to this level, but there's a lot of rules underneath that. And yeah. so I suppose my question uh, tonight is, where are we on the journey with grace at West Side? Is it a conceptual thing for us or a reality? Or perhaps another way to ask it is, have we always attempted to live out grace, but at various points in our history, tried to build the walls and the rules in and sort of shrink that grace concept? Uh, I mean, does that, where do you respond yeah. to something like that? Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I, I love this chapter of the book because I think it's such an important concept um, and practice, uh, not just a concept. But I, and you're right, it is something that I think every church would say, and every Jesus follower would say, "Yeah, my life mm-hmm. wants to be marked with grace." And we 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 love grace um, when it shows up for us when we when <laughs> when when we uh, when we kind of fall short make mistakes those types of things and we're very quick to go yeah but remember we're a people of grace right yeah um, yet it's not always our first response um, because and we've talked in other spaces too because grace is actually the harder work grace mm-hmm. is the harder work to live out grace is actually the harder work to even accept in some cases too for ourselves um, in mm. what it means for us and what it asks yes. of us as we then proceed to, you know, to live in response to that grace. Um, so, so I think it's an important one, a, an important mm. conversation to continue to come back to, to say, how is, yes. you know, my life, how is us as a, as a church community, how are we marked by grace? Um, and, and it's one of the aspects that I love about West side, um, so, you know, you mentioned my time at Westside, uh, almost 
10 years, I guess, kind of cumulatively um, with a little gap in, you know, at, at a different spot for a couple of years there. But there was there was always something about West Side, even when I wasn't a mm. part of it, that I I just always valued and appreciated about the community, um, even mm. when I was watching from a distance. Um, about the, and I want to almost call it the experiment, and I'm not even sure if that's the right word, but maybe mm-hmm. if I unpack it, I might it might make a bit more sense. But how we want to experiment what grace actually looks like in day to day living, um, mm. I loved. I love that Westside is a community that's willing to find themselves in the mess at times um, mm-hmm. with people with different storylines. Um, but that, but that can make you uncomfortable. That can put you in some pretty awkward places in your own um, traditional upbringing. I think too, depending on what that looked like inside the church, outside mm-hmm. the church, uh, if it was in the church, what denomination within the church um context like those are all pieces that play a part within kind of the the grace journey and so mm-hmm. yeah i i think it's an important conversation it's one that i'm glad we continue to circle back to it's one that i love mm-hmm. about the fact that it's in our mission you know our vision statement to say that we want to encounter and embody the surprising grace of jesus um mm-hmm. there's a lot of aspects for us as a community that i that i appreciate um and really value and, and mm-hmm. love about being a part of the community. Now, the hard work is, is actually to walk that out in, in his, you know, the mm-hmm. best that we can. And, yep. and that's the thing about grace is it's going to keep, it's going to keep stretching you. I think we've, mm-hmm. we've seen a lot of stories of grace be played out within people within West side. And, you know, yes. it's, it's not our space to necessarily air those stories here in, in this platform right now, but we, we have them, we've seen them, mm-hmm. but then once they happen, you, you then get stretched a little bit further mm-hmm. and, and it, it moves some things. It moves you away from some, some rules. I think you we maybe have assumed should be in place or a way of thinking or a way of acting, a way of behaving that you assume is the way you should always do things. And it should just kind of, you know, mm-hmm. Grace puts you in a lot of gray space. I think <laughs> it, it, it makes yeah. a lot of things less black and white, in my opinion, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. which is why, you know, as you look into how Scott talks about this, the opposite of grace isn't going to be rules as Scott mm. suggests. And that's a, that's a byproduct. The opposite of grace is going to be fear, mm-hmm. uh, fear of what, right. And fear of, uh, yeah. uh, of making a mistake or right. And so you start to put these rules in place to try to make it, to make it easier. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm, I'm rambling a bit all over here with my thoughts, but I, I think it's, it's such a big topic. It's such a, it, and, and it's one that's so necessary to have. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, a world and culture that's becoming more and more disgruntled with church in some ways, yeah. or has experienced different hurts and abuses and, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of stories like that of people that I know, yeah. um, grace is the missing part and what that, they would even mention that some of the people yes. that I've talked to, to go, there was an opportunity for a church to show grace and I, they didn't. Mm. Well, I mean, so McKnight in the book, let me, uh, you know, ease the tension right, a little bit, but we can bring it back around. So, uh, 
you know, Mike and I asked this question, how can a pastor who offers the grace of the body and blood of Jesus then turn around and abuse women, blister staff members with verbal shaming, or exploit the people he is called to serve? It makes no sense. Any church that deforms into a power-based, fear-inducing, exploitative culture no longer offers the grace of life, but rather the bones of death. To resist such a toxic culture, we must understand how to build and sustain a life-giving culture of grace. Um, so, uh, you know, kind of easygoing quote there from, from <laughs> McKnight uh, without, without too much intensity. But, but the landscape, I talked about this a little bit on Sunday morning. The, the landscape of Christianity at the moment, and let me, I mean, it's, I, let me just narrow it down to sort of Western or the English speaking world or, or something sure. like that, but, sure. but that's sort of, I mean, let me really narrow it down and say the Western evangelical church, but I, but I think it's wider than that to some extent, although that's predominantly what McKnight is focusing on in his book, but evangelical church, the the Catholic Church, the, there's a lot of churches have struggled where this is really what I was kind of scratching at the start, where we all we all talk about grace. Um, you know what I mean? We, we, we all talk about grace. There's no church out there, I think, was no, we don't do grace. But there's this sort of ruins of. Of well. Uh, of, of people's lives actually and, and and even right down to in this sort of you know let, let's just be a little introspective for a second in the 27 years that we've had at west side there are people you can meet who were hurt by this church right. who came to the grace journey but actually found it damaging to them found it hard to them and, and i've you know in my five years here i've met people from across that spectrum from my time and before so there's a there's a disconnect is really what I'm saying. And I think that if churches, unless let's just talk about ourselves, if we never admit to that disconnect, that yes, we believe in grace, but yes, we get that wrong sometimes. Yes. I, I think we're, we kind of leave the damaging behavior in the shadows because we don't want to we don't want to speak to it. Right. I think that's I think that's dangerous. Does, right. does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it definitely does. And I and I think this is, you know there's growing up in church circles and stuff you've heard you've heard the grace mm -hmm. and truth piece kind of come together and stuff and there's mm -hmm. sometimes an emphasis probably you know on truth and truth hurts and you, you mm -hmm. mentioned a bit about that on sunday in your messages as well and mm -hmm. and i and i think that's where grace gets where we have gotten it wrong is when we've leaned too heavily to one side mm -hmm. And it's usually to the side of truth. Usually there's mm -hmm. a fascination with um, within a lot of church circles, at least some of the ones that I've been a part of this fast. Yeah. This, there's a fascination with right thinking kind of with this orthodoxy mm -hmm. piece. And we yes. missed a lot of the orthopraxy um, and the actual right behavior mm -hmm. and the kind of walking out of what it means to behave yeah. um, in truthful yes. ways and in graceful ways. But we've we've kind of really dug our heels in on if we can just think properly, if we can think right. Mm -hmm. And if we can have all the right answers, we're going to solve the rest, but the disconnect mm -hmm. has, has, has kind of, um, well, it's been pretty clear that there's been definitely times where as a church capital C, the kind of the corporate church that we have, we have gotten that wrong. Um, mm -hmm. and I, and I think that's where we get tripped up is when we just assume it's just about the knowledge piece and we miss yes. what it actually looks like too. Um, 
to live out grace and to be graceful people. And that's why I, I think it was just before I joined Westside, the current language, I think it was anyway, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think just before I joined Westside, the language of our kind of vision statement was, was tweaked slightly. And you have this language of that we are trying to encounter and embody the surprising grace of Jesus. And I have long loved the fact that we use both of those words, because I think what you see happen in a lot of contexts is that when we talk about grace, we narrow the conversation of grace down into it just being a conversation about salvation, right? So, so how, how do I find hope in Jesus? And we say, oh, you find out by grace. So what do I need to do in order to get on God's good side? And, we, and, and the, we're told the message of Jesus is Jesus has got you on God's good side already. Right. So, so you don't need to worry about that. But right. then this little twist happens that when we then start to talk about living out our, the, the way of Jesus, grace becomes a kind of secondary concept then and, and we, we live now into something slightly different right and what i like about the language at west side of encountering embodies i think it wrestles with what the bible tries to do in the new testament uh we just are resistant to hearing it that grace is both the model of salvation and the model of the church right, right. so yeah. um you, you you'd even talk about it i i mean We'll put it this way. If there's three areas, and, and you might want to think about it like this, that that our understanding of Jesus should shape our understanding of the mission of God, of the kingdom of God. Yes. So the son of God, you know, the son of God shapes our understanding of the mission of God and the mission of God then shapes, shapes our understanding of the people of God, the church. So you get sort of in, in academic terms, you talk about Christology. Uh, you then talk about missiology. You then talking about ecclesiology. So you know Jesus, uh, you know mission and church. Um, and what we've often been quite happy to see is grace in Jesus, right? but then we get a little blurrier sometimes about where grace and mission fit together. Right. And we get very very quiet when grace and the church fit together. And I think this is where people get hurt because we be open with grace we almost sell grace and then and then people come encounter jesus in all of his grace and then find a community of people that maybe aren't as committed to living that out or leaders within that community that aren't committed to living that out quite as much as we may be implied on the advertising yeah and and i think to you know to go off of that i think this is where the individualized culture of western christianity has affected this i mean it's affected a large um kind of range of you know what it means to follow jesus but i think grace is one of those pieces that you see it um where there's this idea of it's about me it's about my personal jesus and the personal grace that I have received, again, tying it back to the salvation piece, there's mm-hmm. it, it's a fragmented gospel in some senses, because I, I, I'm not suggesting that some of those things aren't true. There absolutely is a grace that you encounter, and there is a there's a personal mm-hmm. aspect of what it means to follow Jesus and your ability to mm-hmm. know him. But it goes so much broader than that. But when we've dialed it into this personal salvation piece, Mm -hmm. well, grace now becomes a very personal thing. Grace is something that doesn't shape 
an entire community or an entire lifestyle. It's a, simply about what I've encountered on a personal level. Um, and that's where it ends. Yeah, I should probably be nice to people. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I should probably care for some people, but grace doesn't necessarily become the marker of what mm -hmm. it means to follow as of what it means to follow Jesus when we've disconnected it from the larger community life and actually mm -hmm. the gospel story and the narrative of, you know, the kingdom of God drawing near and, yes. and what yes. that means for us as, you know, participants in that. Mm -hmm. Do you think, I mean, I have often said that I think grace is Jesus's most offensive. Well, maybe I say it better like this. Jesus is at his most offensive when he talks about grace. Uh, if you notice oh, where, sure. where people seem, uh, which is really fascinating because grace at first impression always, uh, always seems to be attractive. <laughs> um, but it almost depends on where you are. There's that staying out and saying out there. And I'm trying to remember it because it just come to me as I was talking there. Adam Bedford used to use it that, that somehow he talked about how there's this call to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. <laughs> is that, right. is, I think that's how the saying goes, isn't it? Comfort the disturbed yeah. and disturb the comfortable. And grace seems to do that. That if you're on the outside, grace is remarkably attractive. If you're on the inside, grace is a scandal. Right? Grace yes. is, you know, the scandal of grace affects the people who think they hurdled a lot of things to get here. You know, Jesus, Jesus in his parable about the vineyard workers, I think gives you that sort yes. of, that really works that through that here's a day's wages to work in the vineyard. That's all good and fine and well until the, somebody has paid a day's wages to work for an hour in the vineyard at the end of the day. And all of a sudden, what seemed like a good deal has become a scandal now at the, at the, at the, end, of the, at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, so I think we resist grace because we're on the inside. I think, I think we think, well, actually, now that I'm in, like, I want other people to, to suffer. <laughs> I, want, I want other people to have to jump through the same hurdles so they're really serious about Jesus as well. And I think that becomes way more damaging than we realize because inadvertently we follow the pattern of, of religious people in the New Testament where you're happy to encounter grace for yourself, but for some weird reason, you resist it for others once you've encountered it. Well, totally. And this is, this is the, you know, always the interesting aspect of how you read scripture, because we often read scripture and I'm guilty of it on many occasions mm -hmm. too, myself, you always read yourself in the disciple's shoes in, right? Like we, mm -hmm. we rarely, we rarely read anything and go, yeah, I'm definitely a Pharisee. I'm definitely sitting in that spot as a religious elite um, mm -hmm. that has kind of closed you know, my doors to Jesus yes. working in any other way. And I've kind of got a grasp yes. on how this works. It's a sinner's prayer. You welcome him into mm. your heart. You, if you say the right words, you're good. Right. And you, you've mm. kind of got, I, these are the hurdles I've jumped through. These are the, this is the only way. Yes. And then a situ and, until it's not, and something ends up, at, you know, in front of you and in your life yeah. and it's messy and it's not how it's supposed to look. Mm. And then you're asking the questions of, well, 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 well now what? And how do yeah. I respond? But yeah. the religious, the religious way of life is easier. Let's just, let's name it. It, mm. it is easier to say, Hey, I've read three Bible verses today, so I'm good on my Bible reading. 
Um, yes. I've sat silently. Yeah, my thoughts, you know, I thought about 800 mm-hmm. different things that were going on, but I didn't say anything like nothing came out of my mouth. So I had silence. Right. So that's yeah. that makes me really spiritual. Um, right. I, I didn't shout at my kids. Uh, <laughs> like you go, you just you just create a list and you know, if you've won or yes. lost, if you've succeeded or failed, you can look at those things and go, yeah. yep, check, 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 check. I am good for today. I'm a great follower yes. of Jesus. Grace, grace, grace does not does not function that way. It does not work that way. And that's it's going to ask, it's going to disrupt your life. It's going to put you mm. in uncomfortable spaces. It's going to put you with people you maybe wouldn't choose to be with if you were given a choice. Um, it's going to make you sacrifice things that you probably mm. want to hold on to. Um, right. Like, and, and that's why it's the difficult thing. And that's why it's so Mm -hmm. easy for us to resort back into. And again, it's how Scott talks about it. The opposite of grace being fear. Mm. We're afraid of what it might ask of us. We're afraid of what it might look like. We're afraid of, um, what happens if it gets messy? What Mm -hmm. happens if it's not clean and cut? What happens if they ask the question that, you know, tradition has been wrestling for hundreds of years and we don't know what the right answer is what happens Mm. and so we then begin to create rules and we default back into a rigid structure Mm -hmm. that everyone box it everyone says hey we can't stand legalism like if you listen to that conversation within any sort of you know church circle right now it's a Mm -hmm. hot topic everyone's like that legalism it's 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 bad even the legalists on paper say they hate legalism, right? but that's and that's the irony of it because we yeah. we say it, many of us do, and we go, we're not we're not legalistic. We don't want to be legalistic. And to be fair, to be fair, like this is a human tendency, which is the beautiful thing about scripture, yes. is that often these theological things are. I was thinking about how many people um, are. Uh, let me just jump right into the deep end of controversy for a moment. But I was thinking about how many people in one of our neighboring countries campaigned around the idea of law and order are the same people that are now complaining about laws being put in place that they don't like so it's it's a class it's a human problem that that we that we actually find ourselves we find ourselves paradoxes all the time right yes we we live in the in in the in the paradox of 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 saying one thing and doing the other, right? So, you know, I want rules, but not rules that apply to me, rules that apply to you. So, so as long as I can feel like I'm experiencing grace, I can say that we're in grace, not realizing that so often I'm adding, I mean, Jesus says it of the Pharisees, uh, you you know, in one of his arguments in Matthew, that, that, that you, you just put, you keep adding burdens onto people. Yeah. You don't help them take anything off. Right. Yeah. You're just burying them and stuff. And this is where I think Scott gets into this interesting kind of conversation where he, he lists, you know, seven features um, Mm. of a grace filled culture, but he starts by saying, you know, read this definition slowly talking about grace, grace filled goodness. And I think this will spark, um, some I, like further... I was literally just about to say, "Hey, we should read this uh, this definition on page 116." So you're clearly yes. uh, you're clearly thinking the same things as me. Do you want Do you want to read it then? Yeah, sure. He he says, you know, read this definition slowly. He says, "Grace filled goodness." We'll edit that out in a, in a moment. <laughs> or maybe it's just me that's lost you. I lost you there for a second, Tyson. Sorry. <laughs> oh, it might be my it might be my the the joys of technology and internet. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, do you want to, do you want to read McKnight's definition of grace? Let me try this again. <laughs> 
Scott, Scott says, read this definition slowly. He says, grace-filled goodness begins in forgiveness, forms into freedom, and resists fear, all because it knows that God's design for the church is love. It, it's such a profound statement, and there's so many layers Mm-hmm. to you know a, a, a one sentence definition of what a yes. grace you know what a grace-filled goodness good culture looks like but it's interesting he starts in forgiveness yes well so think about it though and maybe we unpack this in a little bit depth in a moment but so grace has to start with a gift um, and so and if you think that there's that word in the middle of forgiveness, there's something given, right? There, there's something not earned, um, not, uh, you know, not required even, something given. Uh, so, so, so forgiveness is a gift mechanism. And that's this is really, really quite, quite interesting. And I don't know that we always think about forgiveness that way. You know, when I forgive you that I'm giving something to you, something that you can't demand of me. You can't. You know, <laughs> we've both got kids. You can force a child to apologize, but you can't <laughs> force a child to forgive. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know, we can all apologize. We can all serve our time. We can all uh, do var- various things. But forgiving is something that has to come from grace. It has to be has to be a gift. But also, that's how we encounter Jesus, isn't it? We we encounter Jesus through forgiveness. We so. But then think what happens as to how often, like you see it in the prodigal son story or the or the lost son story, or as I like to call it, the story of the lost sons, that there's there's two sons. Both of them have inherited all that they have. Uh, you know, they they haven't earned any of it. They've simply yeah. inherited it. Yeah. And and yet the second son forgets that everything he has has been given to him yes and and immediately wants to start creating rules and problems for the grace being shown to the other son right Uh, so this pattern of forgiveness forming into freedom why that's important is because we often don't like to give forgiveness and once and even if we encounter forgiveness our tendency is to not allow the freedom of forgiveness to roll out to others, uh, that, that legalism thing, the, 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 the parameter that the person who's been forgiven much will forgive much actually isn't true. That's the, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm channeling a lot of Jesus parables, but you know the parable where the king forgives the man this unpayable debt. Yes. And the yeah. man goes outside and then throttles his friend who owes him, you know, pretty much nothing comparatively. Right. And whenever I read that story, what I always find terrifying about that story is the story's not weird. Like this is all of us. It's that we we get forgiven huge things and then can be so so tight in forgiving others. Uh, so so that level that McKnight lays out, you know, can we forgive and and do we live in the freedom of that forgiveness? And then do we resist the fear of what happens when? You see freedom happen because freedom creates fear in us. Oh, I wonder if everyone can do what they like. Right? Totally, we might say to ourselves. Well, and that's the common I mean, argument, you, right? Yeah, that 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 is the that is the common argument that you go. Well, mm. can, are you just going to tell them they can go do anything? <laughs> right, like, and, but but it 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 is a it's a fear driven kind of knee jerk reaction to yes. 
what they hear when when you really kind of unpack grace in that sense. Yes. To go, yeah, yes. it's you know, it's just given to you. It's yeah. right. It everything is yours already. Um, and that's that is where we start again. We're we're circling back to this idea of where it's easy to mm. slip into. Well, then let's create rules, right? Mm. And we start to tighten the boundaries in and in and in and in out of fear of. Well, if we just open Me. everything to them, they're not. They're they're not going to follow Jesus without rules, right? Like, yeah. Well, I mean, you you start to get into debate, but if, if you genuinely encountered grace, if you genuinely mm-hmm. encountered Jesus, the surprising mm-hmm. grace of it, I'm not sure you have to be super concerned about them wanting to. You know what I mean? To mm-hmm. to just completely ignore that. But again, mm-hmm. that comes back down to a, is grace just about a salvation piece? Is it just about a yes. from you know from here to somewhere out there, um, which mm-hmm. you know we've had other conversations about? But but I but I think that's again some of those fear responses in that is to say, well, we should probably just tighten the leash a little bit to make sure everyone's okay, to make sure that you know they stay okay with with Jesus. But I I I don't think that's how it works. I think that we. We, we work on a lot of false premises in, in, in my opinion. Yes, that's so, a good way to put it. So grace, if we live with grace, that means anyone can do what they want, we say. And that sounds terrifying. So fear starts to sneak in, right? And, and therefore, we shouldn't, we don't want people doing whatever they want. And, and in fact, that's a biblical perspective. <laughs> the Bible does make the point that if people are left to do whatever they want, that probably won't work well. <laughs> like right. that is, you see that throughout all the scripture, that that will be a mess. But here's the problem. What we do is we say, well, this isn't going to work well. So we should create fancies and boundaries that will stop people doing whatever they want. And that's how we'll protect things. We'll protect via rules. Paul makes the point in Romans, however, that the problem with the law is that it makes lawbreakers, right? It's, uh, it causes the challenge. But what you see, and McKnight talks about this, I think you can see this throughout scripture, is that if, if everything starts with a gift, God starts the process off. Everything that we have as Christians starts with God and we've received it as a gift. Right. But one of the, one of the things that's important to know is that gifts create relationship. So the moment a gift is given to somebody, a bond is created there, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Something is, is when I give a gift to you, you are now faced with the task of responding. Right? So, so you immediately are drawn into relationship. And relationship, relationship changes how we behave. Right? Relationship changes how we behave to each other. If, if we don't have relationship, you will almost always try and mitigate behavior via rules and via boundaries. And, and does, does that make sense? That, that if yep. you don't have yep. a relationship, you go, well, who knows? <laughs> Let me use a terrible example, right? Which is probably coming from my own frustration. Person, right? But <laughs> I've, I've been dropping my daughter off at school for uh, like what, four years now, right? The same school. And here's what I've noticed. There's two types of parents in our school parking lot. There's parents that get out and walk their kids to the door. And there's parents that kind of throw their kids out the window as they drive past. And um, here's what I've noticed. 
the parents that get out and walk their kids to the door talk to all the other parents and talk to the kids as they're all up to the door. And the parents that drive past don't. The curious thing is the worst drivers in the parking lot are the ones that don't get out. And there's something of they, they come in, you hear people talk, oh, look at the way they're driving again. And like how no one gets run over is beyond any of us understanding. It's surely God's grace that children aren't being squashed by trucks on a daily basis. But what we what you start to notice after four years of this is as the parents start meeting and talking to each other, they build friendships, they build relationships. Right. And guess what happens? Behavior starts to be shaped because you don't want to drive badly into a parking lot when you're about to get out and go and talk to people and journey with people and have conversation, because they're going to say, well, hey, what, what earth are you doing just then? But if you can spin by really fast, throw your kids out and carry on, you can do whatever you like. Now, maybe it's a really weak example, but it, it, it's where I am right now. You know, no, but, it, I think, <laughs> on you go. <laughs> no, I was going to say no, but it, it, it's true because Maybe it's, maybe other people haven't been there. You cut that person off going to church on Sunday. You feel really <laughs> awkward when you get out of your car in the parking lot. I realized they were coming to church too. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, like, it, yeah, it, like, it, I don't know it if anybody else things. has been there. <laughs> I, I have had that. My, my dad, my dad cut my <laughs> wife off on the way to our wedding. So there, it doesn't get any <laughs> worse than that. I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> Another story for another day, man. Yeah, yeah. Let's do a whole podcast on that. (laughs) (laughs) That story right there. We'll do interviews with the people involved. But but I mean, yeah, forgive me if it's a bad example that came to me at the time. But it but it's that sense of what I notice is relationship creates. I'm going to use the word very cautiously because maybe it's a bad a, a bad word to use here, but relationship creates a form of obligation or a form of connection. I want to behave differently with the people that I'm in relationship with, but not because of rules, but because of my care, love, and concern for them. So everything starts with a gift from God. The gift creates relationship. And therefore, as the responder to God's grace in my life, action, thanks, service, behavior, all of these things, they come not out of any rules that God has demanded upon me, but they come out of a desire to respond well to grace and forgiveness uh, and resist the tendency to, to, like, I don't know if you've ever been in the situation where, you know, you've, you've told your child off and, uh, you know, they, they look a little freaked out by you or something like that. Or they're, you know, you know, they're my daughter used to quite regularly serve when I would talk to her about her, you know, maybe she'd be misbehaving and she would, she would say, what what are you going to do? Which is really funny as to where this developed from, because we've tried never to parent with a, you've done something wrong. Now we're going to, you know, punish you by taking toys or something like that from you. But in her own mind, as she was growing and developing, she could see a potential connection. I know she was picking up from television or friends or something like that. Right. And there was this sense of, I don't want you. And I always used to say to her, I don't want you to do what's right because you're afraid of what punishment you'd get for doing what's wrong. I want you to do what's right because it's right. I want you to do what's right. And I'm only halfway through my parenting project. So this, this might work terribly. You can all come <laughs> back to me in 10 years time and go, well, that didn't work at all. Should have went with the fear-based approach, but <laughs> the, um, but that, that sense of um, relationship, I, I, I much prefer relationships where behavior is, is shaped by the care and concern for each other. And I think that's what you see 
in the gospels regarding grace. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I do agree. And I think again, you see it in the stories that we have that there, that it's, it's a, it's a Mm -hmm. relational piece that has shaped someone that has impacted someone else that has then encountered something and Mm -hmm. shaped them. And, and it, and then it just kind of echoes out from there, right. Mm -hmm. That it's, that it's this, it's this, it's this connection piece, obviously to, to Jesus and to the, the work there and what that means for an individual that then reverberates mm. through, through many relationships that then has other people encounter it and, mm-hmm. and so on and, and so forth. So, yeah, I think it's, I, I, I think you're right. But then what I think is really interesting with the kind of dynamic of grace and God is that, you know, going back to McKnight's, you know, grace, grace-filled goodness begins in forgiveness, forms into freedom and resists fear. Well, one of the things that's curious about grace that the New Testament picks up all over the place is that the God remains an equal giver of grace to all people. Right? So what that means is... Um, there are no, uh, I want to use a term, John Dominic Crossan, a Catholic um, Jesus scholar, has this beautiful term where he says, Jesus, um, Jesus came to announce the brokerless kingdom of God. And uh, I realize many people might actually be brokers and therefore uh, might, might not appreciate <laughs> that, this that could become, Yeah, that could become an <laughs> offensive thing. But, but, uh, but, but we did caveat this with grace is always offensive. But, but the point that, that, that what Dominic Crossan says is that Jesus comes to a highly hierarchical religious world yep. and announces equal access to God with no middlemen. And, and, and there's something think, profound about that notion of the brokerless kingdom of God, that there is, there is you and God. And, you know, I mean, Martin Luther talked about the priesthood of all believers, which is a very yep. similar notion uh, in, in that sense. I like the modern metaphor uh, a little better in the brokerless kingdom of God. So, but so if grace comes directly to you, it creates no brokers, therefore it creates no hierarchy. So everybody is equal, therefore it creates a family. Why that's quite important, particularly in the context of our conversation and McKnight's conversation with Laura Barringer in this book, is that if there's a family, no hierarchy, no brokers, then the whole idea of the superiority of the leader who can lead by fear should theoretically be disempowered in the church. The, the, The moment leaders start to elevate position to leverage behavior, I'm the leader, you'll do what I say, that type right. of thing. Um, or I'm the leader, and if you don't do what I say, here's the impact. Uh, you know, in, in high, high church situations, you know, I'm the priest. If you don't do things the way I tell you to, you won't be forgiven, right? right. Now, now we would, you know, Protestant, Protestantism uh, almost was founded in that notion that of rejecting that. But we continually try to reestablish it. Where, you know, in Protestant churches, we would say, well, theologically, we know that forgiveness comes from God, not through the priest. But there's so many churches will exclude people, eject people, push people out on the basis of them not doing what the leader says, whether explicitly or sometimes just implicitly. that people all of a sudden realize they are de facto out now and not welcomed anymore. Grace in the way that God pushes grace resists 
all of that, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I agree with you on that. And I, and again, that's where it starts to become offensive. That's, Mm -hmm. that's where you start to see the people in the comfort, comfort, you know, the comfortable Mm -hmm. positions get get disrupted. And, and it comes back to, you know, the, the reversal of the kingdom of what it means Mm -hmm. of how God wants to, to work within the world. Um, Mm -hmm. the world, the world loves its hierarchy. It loves its order and structure and who's on top. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, we, we love the corporate climb in some senses, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. to, to try and be on top and, Mm -hmm. and the way of Jesus and the way of grace is going to go. That's not how this works. It's going to look very different. Um, and it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be very uncomfortable, I think. And, and I think that's the hardest part for churches to exist within is, uh, again, I don't think a church would disagree with you or disagree with Scott and Laura on this grace-filled goodness definition. I like how you changed that there. They probably would disagree with me, but not Scott but and Laura. Yeah. I, I, don't think any, I don't think any church would disagree with this mm. statement when they read it. They would go, yeah, yeah of course. Until something comes in and rocks mm your tradition rocks mm-hmm. your credential papers um right starts to push back on how you've always done something um yes comes with a question again that you're not sure how to answer mm-hmm. well well now we're stuck and we're we're afraid of that stuckness we're afraid of being caught in those places um, which mm-hmm. I think actually the fear, the fear of being stuck, the fear of um, being uncertain of what to do in a specific moment, the fear of, of the mess. Um, I actually, th- and our desire to control, I actually think hinders our impact within our neighborhoods and the cultures, mm-hmm. you know, and the relationships that we have around us. Um, because at the end of the day, what you do is you end up shutting things out. You shut people out, you shut opportunities out, you shut a whole whack of things out again, Mm -hmm. out of, out out of a, out of a fear of maybe not appearing to have everything together yourself. Right. Like, and almost uh, you are needing your own grace in the midst of all of that. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm off on a tangent here, but no, 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 no. I, I like this. I was thinking just about this kind of shutting out language because there's a double sidedness to it, isn't it? You're you're shutting one door but opening another door. So so you shut the door to grace in all these other ways. But you, you know, think about it. The moment you stop practicing grace, you have to control through legalism. Legalism then very often leads to authoritarianism. Therefore, what happens in a culture that's legalistic and authoritarian is everybody wants to be in charge. Right. Everybody wants to be the boss because that's the way you get things done and, where, and the way that you stop people you know, telling you what to do. And how you get to the top is you have to then live in an approval-based culture because I had the people at the top have to like me. And very quickly, you can see how fear starts to shape and run everything, right? Because, yeah. because you pull that grace, um, you pull that grace and, and this, is, this is what you get. And this is how things work. And, and we've seen that. So many times, even within organizations and churches that would want to be grace centered, you find authoritarian leaders, 
status-seeking behavior, you know, approval-based cultures, which become terrifying to live within. Because when I ask, if, you know, if, if we're in an approval-based culture, I ask you a question, how are you going to answer that question? You can tell me what you think, or are you going to tell me what you think I want to hear, and therefore that will validate you, give you more opportunity, uh, and, and it, it becomes really difficult, doesn't it? Yes, yes. And, and, and this is where, you know, as you get more towards the end of Scott's and Laura's chapter on this, Mm -hmm. they, they talk about, you know, the, there's an aspect, if you're going to be a graceful community, Mm -hmm. which I think is a desire for us as a church is to to continue to grow in that. Um, He says, one of the last kind of elements of a grace shaped culture is this space or this room, this room to learn, this room to make mistakes, Mm, this room, you know, this room to, um, to ask questions, to wrestle things out. Like Mm. I like that just the, I mean, to almost just leave it at space and room and not even define Mm. what that looks like. Um, Mm. There's a fluidity to it. There's a, there's Mm. an experimental aspect to that there's a lot of wiggle room in that which again Mm -hmm. can can scare some people in some senses Mm. but i think but i think a lot of church cultures have existed with um well i mean let me uh, let me pick on something that maybe will be controversial for some people and might upset them um take you know membership classes we don't have membership at you know at west side but but a membership class essentially says you can be a part of this community if you, here's what we believe mm-hmm. here's exactly what we believe and you can sign to say you believe all the same things that we do and you can become a member of this mm-hmm. i think a grace a good grace-filled community, and this is maybe where I get myself in trouble, but I'm going to say it anyways, um, is actually going to um, to avoid those spaces. Mm. Actually going to say, actually, we know there's going to be a lot of us that live within the tension of different understandings and different interpretations mm. on certain scriptures that may put us at odds in some conversations where we're going to wrestle this out together and we're going to make mistakes on it and we're going to learn. and right and we're Mm -hmm. and it comes back to the family piece to say we're not always going to agree but we're Mm -hmm. going to find a way forward for the sake of the gospel being pushed forward for the sake of more people encountering the same grace that we have you know that we have discovered even though there's certain things along the way Mm -hmm. we might disagree about forever yes yeah well i mean there's like I was thinking, I, lo- I love that phrase, grace Grace makes space. We, we've, we've used that at various points at Westside. And, and so I loved when I saw McKnight talking about that. You know, and there's one side, you know, like you say, just leave that open space for what? Well, a whole host of things. But, but ask the reverse question. Um, if the opposite of grace is fear, you know, what are you afraid of? So like a great question to ask about the culture that you're part of. Maybe it's your church, maybe it's your office space, maybe it's your family. You know, what happens if someone makes a mistake in your space, right? In that space, yeah. how are mistakes dealt with, right? Uh, you know, and you can ask that question. I think you can ask that question as a parent. You can ask that question uh, in your 
as a as a teacher, you can ask that question in your office space. You, you yeah. definitely ask it in your church. How are mistakes handled? And that will tell you a whole host of things. <laughs> How you respond to the thought of making a mistake will tell you deeper than you can articulate the culture that you're a part of, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so many cultures, mistakes, and even things that are not necessarily mistakes, things that are just perceived as mistakes right. by others, you know, verbal abuse, status degradation, shaming, like all of these things happen really commonly in the world and should not happen in the church at all, but they do, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and people... You know, uh, it's like I've played in bands throughout a lot of my life. Um, and it was always interesting how often I've been playing. You know, I played on stage at some pretty big Christian conferences and stuff like that over the course of my life. And I, I've been really fortunate the vast majority of the time played with really, really good worship leaders. But there's sometimes I always found ironic that you could be singing a song about grace and play a bad note. And the look you got from the worship leader told you that there wasn't much grace in the band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like we're singing about grace but not in the band. Is there any grace? Right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, and the same is true, you, you know, the same is true in every aspect of the, of, of the gathering of God's people together. I don't like to just talk about services because church should be so much more than services, but, you know, are, you know, are people allowed to come up and read the creed and make a mistake while they're reading the creed? Is somebody allowed to totally. get up and, you know, make a mistake during the teaching of their sermon is, is the, you know, if we have a culture that allows mistakes and people are not shamed, abused, degraded as a result of making mistakes, then, then it's a sort of marker that maybe grace is happening here. Maybe there's some, some grace in this situation, in this environment. Yeah. And I mean, let's, let's, pu let's push that even further and, you know, not just about sermons and music notes and, and, mm. and reading of creeds, but, people's lives pe the the stuff they totally. interact with on a day-to-day -day basis right i mean mm -hmm. <laughs> how how they how they talk about those things right like there's an mm. a for me and you a lot of the stuff that we've seen has been within sunday service gatherings from our work mm. um you know but when when someone gets up to share their testimony and it has just encountered jesus and swears Right. And mm -hmm. there's people that are like, can you can you talk about that when you're talking about your life that's just been changed with Jesus? Yeah. And it's because there's this mentality of, well, you've encountered Jesus. Mm -hmm. Everything should be different. And there's no journey yes. for you to go on. It just is, you know, yeah. it, flick, it flicks like a switch and you become yes. this, you know, this perfect person that doesn't wrestle with anything. But but we all have journeys. There's all there's all things that we continue to fall short on. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know do we have space for that? What, what, what does that look like when people, right. Come in and say, this is what has happened. This is where, mm. and I've seen it with friends where it's been handled poorly. They've come forward and said, this is the situation and the church has gone. You need to leave. Well, the, the podcast that we did a little while ago with your tattoo artist, he talked about this exact situation in his own experience of church, didn't he? Exactly. And he's, and again, I, I saw him a couple weeks ago um, mm. because I have an addiction, I think. But, um, but it's okay. We have grace for your tattoo <laughs> yeah, addiction. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that. 
but but he, this is the that is the exact and he's one of them that always comes to mind and mm. I, I i really appreciate my friendship with him dearly um and but he's always at the forefront of things for me to go mm. what is how do i respond when i think about someone like tyler um and mm-hmm. knowing knowing his story and what he shared and that exact type of thing mistakes mm-hmm. were made mistakes were made and they were honest yeah. about them and called them mistakes and wanted to know what it looked like to move forward in the in the mm. culture at that point in time of that specific place that the community that they were a part of was well you're not welcome here yeah because it's so of course easier. inadvertently what you do is you actually just shut everyone down right so um you, you know, know with secrets. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I made a joke once uh, years ago in a sermon. I grew up in a church that was strongly teetotal, so alcohol was definitely, you know, uh, sure. a, a, a no-go thing. And uh, you know, and I made a joke in the sermon once about what you know, you know, what happens if you're part of a church that 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 is teetotal? Basically, it just means that everybody's drink cabinets have solid doors, and. <laughs> and <laughs> And so, so what we think happens is that you create, you have a teetotal church. We assume that means nobody in the church yeah. drinks, right? Um, you, you know, there's, uh, you know, I laugh, I laugh. There's a couple of, uh, you know, various church camps around Alberta and, you know, most of them have got no drinking policies, don't they? And, you know, and people just take their <laughs> drinks bottles home with them to trash them at home when they get away from their, their camp. There's, yeah. there's these constant things that, these rules don't create what we think they'll do. So a rule that says nobody should drink doesn't stop anyone drinking, just makes everyone drink in secret, right? Um, you know, and, so when, and when we then shame people for doing what we consider to be wrong, right? We don't, it doesn't actually stop people doing what's quote unquote wrong. It just stops people talking about it. Yes. Uh, you, you know, and it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't work. Churches that are teetotal have as much alcoholism problems in them as churches that, that don't. In fact, actually in some cases, even more because there's no healthy modeling of life happens in those sort of, sort of spaces. So, you know, I, I, you know, whether it's the stories that your tattoo artist told in that podcast, whether it's you know goofy stories about, about teetotal churches in days gone by, what we think we're achieving when we exclude grace and create rules, very rarely are we actually achieving what we think, right? Totally. And I mean, you know, pick on pick on parenting. Let's move it outside of the, mm. you know, the church circle. There's a lot of studies going around, uh, you know, as we mm. continue to see generations get raised up in different conversations mm. of 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 what is the effect of you know yeah and i know there's always a new kind of shtick that people go on but generally <laughs> speaking generally speaking as we're learning more about mental health and and how certain things affect people and what's helpful conversation what's not and we're you know and, and we're growing as for those of us that are parents in that sense you're learning a lot about this idea as well. If you come in with the hammer on everything, you shut communication down. Mm-hmm. You shut communication down. If you come, if they assume that the first response is going to be anger, it's mm-hmm. going to be straight to discipline. And sometimes discipline is necessary. So I'm not suggesting mm-hmm. that you, you should never kind of correct and help in that sense. But mm-hmm. but if the assumption is is if I share something that is, is frowned upon, I shouldn't have done or whatever, 
And I know the response is going to be anger, discipline, um, disappointment. Like you list the negative, you know, kind of emotions. Mm -hmm. Well, what am I naturally going to do? I'm naturally not going to have those conversations. And you see it with kids. You, you, you see yeah. it. And, and I've had conversation. I did, you know, a few years as a youth pastor, you see those conversations. Why isn't my kid talking to me? And as you're working through those things, you're seeing that that's been the response and that the kid is going, well, I'm just not mm. going to open up because all it does is get me in trouble. Even though the parents mm-hmm. I know genuinely love the kid, they do. Yeah. yeah. But if our natural re- knee jerk reaction is to always go anger, discipline, correct it you actually end up losing the conversation. You lose the depth of relationship. You lose the opportunity yes. to actually help someone move forward. And you become, yes. iso- you become isolated from um, important relationships. Uh, Rob and Kristen Bell talk about door, door B parenting. So they talk about how a lot of parenting, what happens is we say, do this, or you get whatever's behind door B. which is a merely punishment of some sort right so it's so it's like it's it's door a what i want you to do or whatever happens behind here and they say what they've tried to do in their parenting is parent by culture so which is to say you know so don't hit your brother or you'll go to bed with no supper that's probably child abuse so maybe you shouldn't use that example but yeah i i i've never i've never been able to cope with the idea of anyone suggesting someone don't eat so let's use that worst example that i can think of you know or <laughs> or, or or don't um you know don't uh you know don't fight with your sister or you will not play with toys for for three days or something like that these are all door b parenting models right where it's this or that but what, what they were talking about is how, you know, a grace culture in a family is to say, hey, don't hit your brother because that's not how we behave. Yes. You know, that's not that's not how we do things. That's not how we treat people. And you speak to the belonging of us as a as a family or a community yes. unit rather than a threat, because the threat doesn't actually help that much. Yeah. And I and I want I wonder. And maybe we, we, we land the conversation here because you can go for hours on grace. Mm. Um, but I, I wonder what that look, would look like for us as a church, the impact that would have on a community, mm. the impact that would have on those yeah. looking on the outside looking in. If we took an approach yeah. like that, that I do think is the graceful approach of mm-hmm. saying, because sometimes people I think assume grace is, doesn't correct. Grace just gives everyone a free pass. Mm. And that's 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 not that's not a graceful environment because that's not loving and caring and what you would do and what it means to be part of a family but i wonder what would happen if as a community we say no that's you're not getting kicked out we're not asking you to leave we're asking you to come back tomorrow next week what whatever yeah but but that's not how we treat each other that's not Mm -hmm. how we that's not how we do this right that's not that's not the people we want to be that's not how yeah. we're going to behave. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. It, it would be inc- it would be incredibly messy. <laughs> I can promise. I can promise you that. Um, but let's be honest. Let's be honest. Look at the state of the church. The, the method we've been trying hasn't hasn't been tidy, right? Well, it's we're, like people we're, are, we're people yeah. are getting hurt, excluded, you know, damaged. So we're, so I we're feel already like, in a mess. <laughs> 
basically, yeah, I feel like, I feel like, well, you know, is it, is it going to be, you know, people are leaving the church in record numbers, you know, there's now a whole publishing side of the, of, of the Christian book industry devoted to, you know, I think about books that, that we've looked at over the past, you know, year, you've got, uh, you've got, you know, church called Tove, you've got books like Jesus and John Wayne, you've got Chuck the Groats when narcissism comes to church, like there's a whole publishing wing, Diane yeah. uh, Langberg's, um, you know, books on, on abuse in the church, like this, there's a whole publishing wing of Christian book distributors given over to writing about the mess that the church is in, so in yeah. a weird way, there's a part of me goes, if grace is messy, even just a different mess would surely be better than a mess where people are getting hurt, broken, uh, you know, and, and damaged. Well, and it, and it comes you back to I mean? where, where, where Scott ends that, where he goes, where the main call of the church is love, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and that yes. you're, you're right in that it is a, it is a mess. It's going to be a mess no matter what. So what mess yeah. do you, do you want to choose? And it's the same yeah. thing that you, uh, you posted it on your Instagram a few days ago, I think on your story or something to say, you know, you can find scriptures to be weaponized. You can find them to support mm. certain things, or you can find the healing bomb. It's, it's up mm. to you what you choose, yes. right? We, totally. we can choose, we can choose legalism. We can choose rules. We can choose things that are going to hurt people, or we can choose grace and we can choose love. Mm-hmm. And we can choose the healing bomb. There's no clean way forward, but which way forward do you want to go? Totally. Totally.